So have you ever found yourself traveling in bad weather? Ever had to travel in bad weather? Well, Bill had to travel in some bad weather. In fact, the weather was so bad, the plane that Bill was flying on had to be landed. Couldn't go any farther. The fog was way too thick. And what he found was there was a lot of angry people on that plane. Because they were going somewhere. And all of a sudden their plans were changed. And they were grounded and they were going to have to spend the night, at least one night, in a place they really didn't want to be. The next day, though, something interesting happened. Bill went to the airport cafe and and he saw that all those same angry people were, were sitting around talking. And they were smiling and they were laughing. And almost all of them had one thing in common in the cafe that day. Well, Bill went on and the the flight continued. He, He got to the place that he was going. He went to the meeting that he was supposed to be at. And as he's meeting with these guys, he begins to tell them about his experience in the airport cafe. He begins to tell them about the common denominator that he saw in all these folks that went from angry to happy. And from that meeting came this. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Everybody! I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep in company. That's the song I sing. No, I'll stop. One more time. That's right. That's right. (laughs) The one thing those angry passengers had in common the next day in the airport cafe... They were all holding an ice-cold bottle of Coke. Now, Bill was a man named Bill Backer. And Bill, at that time, just happened to be the creative director for a new ad campaign for Coca-Cola. And he was flying to go meet with the rest of the ad campaign team. And this is what he said about his experience in the airport that day. In that moment, I saw a bottle of Coke in a whole new light. I began to see a bottle of Coca-Cola as more than a drink. And so that was the basic idea. To see Coke as a tiny bit of commonality between all peoples. A universally liked formula that would help to keep them company for a few minutes. Now when he got to his meeting, the creative music director his name was Billy Davis, Billy said, you know what, if I was going to buy something for the world, it wouldn't be a Coke. And so Bill Backer said, well, what would you buy them, Billy? And he said, well, I'd probably give everybody a a new home, and then I'd I'd just serve with them with with peace and love. I mean, that sounds better than a Coke, right? (laughs) I mean, a new house, peace, and love. I mean, that sounds kind of fantastic. That's a good vibe. Many years ago on the TV show, The X-Files, Agent Fox Mulder found a a genie. The genie gave him three wishes. His first wish was for world peace. And what he found in the moment that his wish was granted was he was the only person left on the planet. That's the only way world peace is going to happen. He got his wish, but he probably was going to lose his peace of mind being all by himself. But what if a new home, and what if world peace, and what if great earthly love were not the greatest gifts that could be given to humanity? What if there is a gift that's better? 
Listen to Luke chapter 11, beginning with verses 11 and 12. Jesus says, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? Jesus has been teaching his closest friends about prayer. He gave them a a model prayer, a guide or a pattern. Something that they could use for how they're supposed to think and how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to say and what they're supposed to do when they're praying. He gave them this model prayer. and, And now he's finishing up his teaching on prayer. And he finishes up with snakes and scorpions. Naturally, right? I mean, that's how we taught our kids to pray. And God, thank you for snakes and scorpions. Amen. A lot, right? Well, it's not just about snakes and scorpions. Jesus is actually giving a couple of questions that have some pretty obvious answers. It's not something confusing. If we were to modernize it a little bit, it would be kind of like a child saying to his dad, Hey, Dad, can I have chocolate chip pancakes for breakfast? And his dad's saying, no, but but here's a live Arizona bark scorpion. I'd put it right here on your plate, buddy, and and let me go get some syrup and some whipped cream for you to put on top of it. No loving father is going to do something like that. No loving father is going to give his child a, a poisonous snake instead of fish sticks, you know, for dinner. No loving father is going to give his child a a poisonous scorpion instead of a, a Cadbury cream egg. You know, a loving father is not going to do this. And so Jesus gives an extremely practical, extremely useful word picture, and you don't have to figure it out. It's it's pretty easy to understand. And the reason it's so easy is because it needs to clearly set up what he says next. Look at verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I can't help but think this was like a, a moment for the disciples where they're like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> Andrew turns to Peter and he says, did he just call us evil? Did, did Jesus just call his, his disciples, his friends evil? Or is this one of those Mr. Knievel stories that he's always telling? Evil, Knievel. Yeah. I thought I'd take a chance for that. Sometimes you shouldn't take a chance. (laughs) So is Jesus being mean to his disciples? And and really, since we're supposed to be listening and obeying this, is Jesus being mean to us by, by calling us evil? No, he's not being evil. He's just trying to make a pretty clear picture. You see, an earthly father knows how to give a good gift. And an earthly father can be rude and mean and arrogant and irresponsible and annoying and pushy. An earthly father knows how to give a good gift. And an earthly father might completely ignore his family while he puts in 30 years for the same company. Or an earthly father might completely ignore his family because he's doing 30 years to life. And so if an earthly father who will sin, who will mess up, who will do the wrong thing, who doesn't always get everything right, if an earthly father knows how to give good gifts, then Jesus says, then don't you think your heavenly father, who created the universe and everything that's in it, don't you think your heavenly father, who is completely perfect in every way, don't you think that he knows how to give a gift that's more than just 
good. I'm so thankful that Jesus makes things so clear and so obvious. But don't miss those two words there at the end. He says that God will give the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You see, the primary gift God gives is not a new car. That's that's not the promise. Jesus didn't say God's going to make sure that you get a new car on your 18th birthday. The promised gift is not that you're going to make a high score on the SAT. The promised gift is not that you're going to have a marriage that feels like a Hallmark movie. The promised gift is not that you're going to have a job that just gives you goosebumps every Monday morning. You just can't wait to get there. And a job that makes you and allows you to retire, you know, 54 and a half. None of that is what God has promised. The promise, the gift of all gifts is the Holy Spirit. That's the promised gift. So who, who is the Holy Spirit? All right, think about birthday or, or maybe Christmas. And, and let's just say that you get a present that is dynamic. I mean, it's strong. It's extremely practical. It's extremely valuable. It's the kind of gift that makes you feel loved 24 hours a day. And that exact same gift never breaks, never falls apart, never fades, never gets old. And that exact same gift changes your life and can change the entire world. That's the Holy Spirit. In a nutshell. See, the the Holy Spirit is a big deal gift. The Holy Spirit was a big deal before there were big deals. And Jesus says the promised gift that God gives is the Holy Spirit. So just a few bullet points on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a divine person. He's the third person of the Trinity. Therefore, he's God. So he's God the Spirit. He shows up about 90 times in the Old Testament of the Bible. Shows up about 250 times in the New Testament of the Bible. He creates. He speaks. He intercedes. And he grieves. This is what Jesus said to his disciples on another day about the Spirit. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He's the truth guy. See, the Holy Spirit, in in the words of one of my son's Christian rap songs that I love, he's the reacher. I love that. Holy Spirit, he's the reacher. The Holy Spirit is is the reacher that helps people see they need faith in Christ. And he's the helper that helps Christians live out their faith in Christ. He is the guide that helps people see that Jesus is the way. Christianity early on was called the way. Hey, where you guys go to church? We go to the way. So what is the way? The way is simply the way of Jesus. The way is simply that Jesus is the way. Faith in Jesus of Nazareth, the man and God, the Christ, the Messiah. Faith in Jesus is the only way for things to be right between you and God. There is no other way. The Holy Spirit helps you see that. The Holy Spirit gives us all the truth that we need to be saved. The Holy Spirit gives us all the truth that we need to follow after Jesus. 
And the Holy Spirit gives us a picture of who Jesus is because Jesus is the only agenda the Holy Spirit has. He speaks about who Jesus is. He speaks about what Jesus has done. He speaks about what Jesus is doing. He speaks about what Jesus is going to do. So if you're going to be a spirit-filled person, if you're going to be a spirit-filled church, then you are somebody that's going to be filled up with Jesus because that's the only thing the Holy Spirit has in his tank. Ron Daniel says this, the true test of a spirit-filled church is this, is Jesus the main focus? That's the test of a true spirit-filled church. Is Jesus the main focus? That's a question that a church needs to ask every day. That's a question that a Christian needs to ask every day. Is Jesus my main focus? It's not enough to say that my main focus was when I was 11 years old on Jesus. That's not enough. I can't just say, hey, I got saved when I was 11, and man, I, yeah, it's not enough. A church can't say, man, our focus was so great, and it was so fantastic in 1982. Boy, we were packing the pews out. That's not a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church every day says, am I focusing on Jesus? Are we focusing on the Savior? A spirit-filled person every day says, is my main focus Jesus? Is my attention there? See, the Holy Spirit By default, his main deal is Jesus. His main deal is showing us that Jesus is the only way and the only truth and the only life. There is no other way. And so the question is this, has the reacher reached you? Has he shown you that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Has he showed you that Jesus Christ died in your place? He sacrificed himself as a substitute for you so that the penalty of your sin would not come crashing down on you at the moment that you died. But rather that it would be wiped away. It would be removed. It would be covered. If the reacher has not reached you, then I pray that he will reach you today. If you do not see that salvation in Jesus Christ is your greatest treasure, more great than your family, more great than your job, more great than your favorite team. If you don't know that, I pray the reacher will reach you with that truth today. Jesus tells his friends, God, his gift that he's going to give you is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's his promise. But what does that mean? Well, I came across an interesting way of thinking about that this week. It goes something like this. Imagine that God gives you a heaven-incorporated gold credit card. Unlimited balance. There's no way that you would ever lose funds for anything that you want. But wait, that's not all. Then he throws in unlimited access to your very own personal angel from heaven. Sounds like a pretty good gig, right? So a few weeks go by and you say to God, God, the card's great. And the angel, fantastic. I mean, just super stuff, God. But what would be really, really great is if you could just come here. If you could just kind of be with me all the time so that I always could get your help with everything. You can imagine the angel Gabriel going, who's this guy think he is? What in the world? And then you can imagine Gabe's shock 
when God says, okay, I'll do that. I will send my spirit to live inside of you so that you will always have immediate access to my help. That's the promise that God gives. That's why Jesus is telling his friends, ask for the Holy Spirit. Because this is God with you. Think about how you pray. Think about the kinds of things that you pray for. How often do you pray for the Holy Spirit? Or maybe you don't pray. Maybe you're one of these people that says, hey, whatever I have, I earn on my own. And you don't ever ask God for anything. Just so you know, that's the opposite of Christianity. Because Christianity is constant dependence on God. I can't breathe the next breath to hear the next sentence from Tao without God. That's what it means to be a Christian. At least that's what it means to think like a Christian. But let's say you do pray. How often do you pray that that God would give you the Holy Spirit? Now, you might be thinking, hey, wait a minute. Didn't I get the Holy Spirit when I got saved? I mean, in the Holy Spirit, kind of like the the instant welcome wagon gift from heaven, you know, that I automatically, you know, get the Spirit? Yes. You do. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, is not to ask God for some you know, fancy appearing and anointing from the Holy Spirit so that they can suddenly do special things or more special things for God. That's really not what Jesus is talking about here. And here's why. God doesn't need me or you to do special things. <laughs> he can do special things without me and he can do special things without you. It's kind of what he does. It's his spiritual gift, so to speak. He does special things. And so God doesn't need us for special things. But here's the thing. God in his kindness, God in his joy in his creation, he wants to do special things in your life. He he desires to do special things in and through you. So how does he go about doing that? Well, this is how James put it. Submit, therefore, to God. (laughs) Yeah, when I think of special things, I think of submission. Sure, that goes hand in hand, right? Submission doesn't sound like a special word, does it? It doesn't sound like a happy word. Some people think, oh, submission, that's a bad word. That's one of those wash your mouth out with soap words. Uh Uh-uh, no, no, no. I don't hear nothing about submission. So what does it mean to submit? Well, the way James talks about it here, what he's saying is it's kind of military language. And it means that you put yourself under the authority of someone else. So, how are you doing at putting yourself under the authority of God? How are you doing at making God your commanding officer? Or is God just an occasional consultant that you call on when you have a problem? When you think about your relationship with God, is your relationship with God just kind of a kind of a cool Sunday friend relationship? Hey, good to see you, God. You know, see you next Sunday. Or is every aspect of your life wrapped up, all your decisions, all your attitudes wrapped up in saying, God, God, would you speak into my life? 
Maybe think of it this way. Do your prayers sound more like this or less like this? I'm yours, Lord. I'm not here to get my way. Your will be done. Is that how you pray? Or do your prayers sound a little different? I've shared this thought with you from Richard Baxter before. Great Puritan pastor. Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt. Does that sound like how you pray? (laughs) Try that at lunch today. God, thank you for this food. What thou wilt, and everybody will start watching you. What kind of language is that guy talking over there? What thou wilt, where thou wilt, when thou wilt. It's powerful. God, you, God, you, God, you, not me. Because God, the more of you, then the more satisfied I will be. You see, this whole picture of asking for the Spirit is is not some fancy special thing. When Jesus tells his friends to ask for the Spirit, what he's saying is, ask God to help you submit to him. Ask God to help you not fight against his truth, not fight against his ways, because he is here. He is desiring to be an immediate help for you always. Don't fight against that. Cooperate with that. That is so much easier said than done, isn't it? But yet that's exactly why Jesus says, this is how you need to be praying. But you might be thinking, hey, what does all this have to do with my real life right now? You might be thinking, look, I don't, I don't know about all this Holy Spirit stuff. I just want my spouse to start paying attention to me. I just want my kids to do a little better in school. I want the doctor to start giving me some, some good news instead of some bad news. I just want a little more money to, to help pay my bills. Look, I can see my bills, but I can't see the Spirit. So how does this really affect me? Or maybe we take it from another angle. Maybe we take it from the angle of things that we hear from non-Christians. If God is so good, then why do children get cancer? If God is so good, then why did my dad leave my family? If God is so good, then why is my mom secretly hooked on pain meds? If God is so good, why is there war? If God is so good, why is the government corrupt? If God's so good, why do his own missionaries get killed? If God is so good, why did all these people die in earthquakes in Japan and Ecuador this week? What is it with your God? Is he really good when all of this bad happens? Well, this is one sermon. Those are big questions. So I'm just going to take a quick shot at least helping us think about this in a very strange way. So imagine that you're at the mall and you're back in your car out of your parking space and, and you accidentally bump up against the, the sign and it pushes over and the, it's the sign that says, you know, no skateboarding, no rollerblading, no miming, you know, that sign that they have at the mall. I think there's one like that. And old Carl Blart Paul's cousin. He comes up on his Segway. He cruises up next to you. He's the mall security. And boy, he starts making a big, huge deal about how you have defaced mall property and how awful this is. And he's already called the cops to come over. And so sure enough, a local policeman comes over and and you get written up with an official citation. A few weeks later, when your insurance company finds out about your official citation, they call. And even though you've never had a wreck before, 
Even though you've never had a speeding ticket, you've never even been warned for jaywalking, you've got nothing on your record. Even though it's clean, they say, look, your premium is going to start going up $372 a month. You might say, that is so unfair. I mean, this is my first ticket in the world. And yet at the same time, there are many people who will completely ignore 364 days of grace and health and food and shelter. And they will choose to blast God, either through anger or through complaining, because they got a stomach bug on their birthday. But what if it's not a bug? What if it's something a lot deeper than just a stomach bug? What if it's real pain? What if it's real tragedy? What then? Well, the exact same principle still applies. Things don't change. See, at the end of the day, God is good. It may not always feel like that, but you don't suddenly become a terrible driver. You don't suddenly become a menace to society because you bumped over the sign at the mall. And in a similar sense, just because something bad happens, it doesn't make God less good. Listen to that again. God is not less good just because something bad happens. And here's why. Because God is good. It is a fixed part of his character. It cannot be changed. It cannot diminish. It cannot fade. The psalmist said it this way, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. My loving kindness is not everlasting. I love being your pastor. Love you. Love my wife. Love my kids. Even Holden. I love him. But my love toward you and toward them is technically not everlasting because I don't have that ability because I'm not God. And so the goodness that we speak of here, God's goodness, his love, all of these things are everlasting. Everlasting is not like all weekend. Everlasting is not like till death do us part. Everlasting is like forever lasting. See, God's love, his mercy, his grace, all of those things about God, his goodness, they are perfect. And they have been perfect since before time began, and they will be perfect forever and ever. His love is everlasting. Now, how does this come into an earthquake? How does this come into pain? How does this come into tragedy? How does this come into the deep, dark moments of life? John Piper writes, Let our hearts be broken that God means so little to us. Meaning we'll turn on him on a dime. Grieve that God is a whipping boy to be blamed for pain, but not praised for pleasure. Lament that he makes headlines only when man mocks his power, but no headlines for 10,000 days of wrath withheld. He's good. It will not feel like it all the time. You'll think he's not. 
but it can't change. It is fixed. He is good. But what about when it's not a tragedy? What about when it's, it's not some disaster or some really dark thing in life? What if it's just that your prayer is not being answered? What if you've decided God must be a phony? He must be a fraud because life is hard and life is tough and this happened to me and he's not answering and he's not asking him, he's not answering what I'm asking him for. Listen again to this strategically kind, helpful advice from Jesus because this is the answer. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What if heaven turns out to be something that you don't like? Sounds crazy, right? But here's what I mean. If you have an idea right now about what you think heaven is like, I mean, if you, if you think heaven is just some, you know, big football game or golf course or whatever, and you get there and it's not what you thought it was going to be, if you're a Christian, guess what? You won't be disappointed. <laughs> That's kind of what makes heaven heaven. It is, it is absolute perfection. So if it doesn't live up to your billing, great. <laughs> Because your billing will be shallow and short compared to what heaven is. So if heaven doesn't turn out to be what you think it's going to be, meaning not biblical thoughts, but just what you are thinking it might be like, you will not be disappointed. In a similar sense, what if your prayer isn't answered the way you want it to be answered? Well, you're going to be disappointed. And that will be the difference. You'll be disappointed. You'll be discouraged. But it won't make God any less good. God won't be bad because your prayer didn't get answered the way that you wanted it to get answered. Imagine a chart. And on one side of the chart is what God thinks is good, and on the other side of the chart is what you think is good. Here's the deal. The math is always going to go in God's direction. His good is always going to be better than your good. Listen to this. Your prayer is going to be answered. How it is going to be answered is a little different. So how is your prayer going to be answered? I love what Lig Duncan says. He's going to answer it as if you would have prayed it, knowing what he knows. That's good. God's going to answer your prayer in a way that would reflect what you would pray if you knew what he knew. Because, see, he's good. We're not always good. We drop the ball. We fumble. We mess up. Never happens with God. God's good is always better than your good. Let me say that again. God's good is always better than your good. Always. And what is the best good for your life according to Jesus Christ? Well, according to Jesus Christ, the best good for your life is the Holy Spirit. The best gift for your life is the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit may not look like a new car. The Holy Spirit may not look like a mortgage payment. The Holy Spirit may not look like a good test score. The Holy Spirit may not look like a perfect marriage. The Holy Spirit may not look like a southern living home. But the Holy Spirit guarantees my eternity. And he encourages my humanity. The Holy Spirit guarantees my eternity. And he greatly encourages my humanity. I love what John MacArthur says about asking for the Holy Spirit. You ask for some money, God gives you the bank. (laughs) It's a fantastic picture of what it means to have the Holy Spirit. It may not be everything that you want. It may not be every answered prayer that you have. But it will be everything you need. You see, more than a new home, more than great earthly love, more than world peace, more than an ice cold bottle of Coke, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that has been given to humanity. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus and keeps people with Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings you to Jesus and the Holy Spirit keeps you with Jesus. If you've been reached, I pray that you would be overwhelmed that God has given you the Holy Spirit. And if the reacher has not reached you, I pray that he will reach you now, that he will reach you soon so that you will discover what it means to know Jesus and to have Jesus and what it means that Jesus has 